I'm sitting here thinking about it today. In in my in my career, just at my agency, I lost 19 deputies that were put their lives down on the line for a citizen. 19 in 30 years. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to Secure America Now's Code Red podcast. I am Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Last year, Americans witnessed an outbreak of lawlessness across this nation. And this lawlessness gave birth to a very vocal movement against law, against our law enforcement protectors. In response to rising anti-police demands, Secure America Now launched a Defend Our Police project. Part of this includes conversations, podcasts with retired and active duty law enforcement professionals. Today, we are privileged to have with us Rick Wallerman. Rick is a retired officer who spent 30 years with the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Orlando, Florida. Rick was a master deputy sheriff and worked in several high-profile roles with the agency, including 15 years in major case criminal investigations and the special investigations division welcome to the podcast rick hi alan nice to be here rick can we begin by you explaining to the audience what role does the sheriff's department play in orange county well, in Orange County, uh, unlike most law enforcement agencies in northern states and so forth, we were a full-service law enforcement agency. Um, there's around 13 separate law enforcement jurisdictions within Orange County, and Orange County is the um, what they would consider the supervisory or the chief law enforcement officer for the county. If um, cities needed assistance, the sheriff would come in. Um, our boundaries were kind of like a mini state police. We had the run of the whole county. Now, when you joined the force, um, has the role that you played in other offices and the sheriff's department, has it changed, um, especially in light of what occurred in 2020? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 some some in some instances it's light years different compared to when I came on board in 1981. Um, you know, the big thing over the years became community policing. Well, community policing is really what you do every day. It's not anything really that's that special, other than what it's evolved into is. Um, giving people whatever they want, you know, like the, the body cams. Everybody screamed they wanted body cams. Well, we gave them body cams. Now they're upset because they see the body cams and they don't like that they say what we do is too rough. Well, police work is not sometimes a pretty business. And it, sometimes it looks a whole lot worse than what it actually is. I mean, we're, we're trained to do defensive tactics and holds that 
are really just minor pain compliance. Um, you know, the things that occurred in Minnesota, it's a totally different story. It's like any other job. You have, have some people that are maybe shouldn't be there or they're badge heavy, what we'd call, you know, they're overzealous in what they do. Um, but by and large, 99.99% of everybody that goes to work every day to uh, protect the public does it honorably and to the best of their ability. We at Secure America Now operate under what exactly you just described, that the overwhelming 99.9% of offices are putting themselves on the line to protect law-abiding citizens. And um, and I would like to go, um, I would like to hear your points of view on certain things that actually have occurred in our and are occurring across the country. While, okay. while there has been a great deal of very vocal uh, demands that police departments uh, be disbanded, that police departments be defunded, that criminals being, be let out of jail. Um, one of the things that hasn't occurred, which you would expect to occur, at least I do, is that elected officials are standing by the police officers in the field. Do you feel that elected officials are in fact in this day and age, I know it's a broad question and it mm -hmm. changed uh, jurisdictionally, but overall, are you, are you uh, happy or disappointed in the way elected officials have responded to this very radical and vocal minority? Well, I think you kind of answered that question yourself. They're elected officials. They they don't have a real grasp on what a law enforcement officer does. I would invite any elected official to go out and ride a shift. Go out and ride a shift with your local law enforcement agency and see what they really see. And then, you know, you have these these people that, for lack of a better word, choice of words, they are professional politicians. And, and that's and that's their bread and butter, and their bread and butter is to appease to their base. But in in the law enforcement world, we have a job to do. We have we have a constitution to follow. We have state laws to follow. If you don't like the laws, it's not law enforcement's fault. You need to get with your legislators and let them decide what what law needs to be addressed or whatever. Now. This defund the movement kind of drives me crazy because in my 30 years in law enforcement, I can't really remember where we always had all this excess money that we could afford to defund. Because as as from the time I got involved in law enforcement until the time I retired officially in 2012, we were always doing more with less. And the amount of call load that we had necessitated that we had to do more things. Now, there's things, the people with mental illness is the prime example right now. We're thrust into 
Mm-hmm. And the thing where we're the first responders to go deal with people with mental illness, and some agencies are proactive in dealing with with uh, health, mental health issues, and there's some that they have to put it on a back burner because something in their community says they got to work harder or spend more money on, say, traffic enforcement. Um, we were fortunate in Orange County with our sheriff that started a program many years ago um, to where we had professional mental health people come in and we had specialists within the agency. It was a volunteer process. If you wanted to be part of this team, it was called a critical incident team. And me as a deputy, if I was on the road or in CID or SID, if I ran across a mental health issue, I would have these men and women deputies that I could contact who had the mental health context to reach out to. Um, and then they could help us determine and, and, deal with these people at a, at a much, you know, more as a, as a mental issue, more so than a criminal issue. Then we had a, a state attorney at the time that said, hey, why are we arresting uh, mental health patients and charging them with a crime? Because it's kind of an oxymoron if you're saying somebody is, isn't, doesn't have their full capabilities, but then you're saying they have the capabilities to understand that they've committed a crime. We need to choose one or the other. So we got kind of out of the arrest mental health people and get them the help they need. Again, we're handling more things than we are really designed to handle. You've got issues with schools. I mean, you've got law enforcement officers. You're putting them in the schools. Now they want to pull them out of the schools because they're offended because they wear guns. Okay, that's going to last and right up until the next, you know, shooting that they have at a school. Then they're going to be screaming, well, why aren't, wasn't law enforcement here fast enough? So it, it, you're kind of pulling your hair out and you're being, you're being pulled from one side of the building to the next, so to speak, because you try to do the right thing, but then you got somebody else saying, well, you look too mean, you look too military, which is another thing. They're taking away the equipment. You're, you're, you're taking away equipment that's designed to Protect people. Protect the law enforcement officer from getting injured. All right, if you want to have them injured, then okay, then you get to pay all the the stuff for the rest of their life to keep them, you know, well, you know, with uh, uh, medical retirements and so forth. So it's just one thing after the, another that nobody sits and thinks about with any resemblance of common sense, especially in the political realm. Do you? Um have a, uh, in a, a handle or do you have information on whether this hostile environment that has been created towards the police is having an impact on the recruitment of future police officers? It's having an impact on the recruitment of future police officers. It's having the impact on police officers that are currently working. Um, People, we used to try to be a proactive force instead of a reactive force, and that's really what you want to be. You want to stop crime by by interceding in things that you look at that appear to be suspicious. Now, if, if you intercede in anything that looks suspicious, 
you're either and if you're in what we would consider, I guess, the hood, or you're in a, a lower economic, social economic uh, community, they're saying you're picking on them. Well, no, I'm giving you the police services that your community taxes pay for. I mean, you got the rule of thumb is 95% of the police services that we provide go to 5% of the population. So, you know, I can I can go into the high end stores and be seen and wave and be officer friendly, but then if I go into the bad areas and I try to do enforcement work so that I can protect those people that want me there, I'm I'm looked at as being heavy handed or racist or misogynistic or any number of words that the media create to identify what a law enforcement officer does. Most of my friends that are still active duty, they can't wait to get out. Um, and everybody has like a countdown clock to when they can retire and they go and they don't want their families getting in. I mean, I've got two boys. I don't want them in law enforcement. It's not a safe job for them to be in. And and it's something to where everything that they have to do now, they have to explain themselves. Whereas before, it wasn't that we were given, you know, just go out and do whatever you want, but it was a kind of, of a job to where you, once you were trained and set out and said, go forth, solve crime, my son or daughter, <clears throat> you, you'd go out and do that. Now you've got to explain why, if you wrote somebody a ticket, while you, why you smiled while you were writing the ticket or why you frowned while you were writing the ticket. And, and God forbid, if, 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 if a bad word comes out of your mouth, you're standing online explaining why you said a bad word to a citizen, whether you said it or not. It's, it's, it's not the proactive job it should be. That's why, that's why crime goes up. It's just people are sitting in their cars. They're not inter, inter, uh, meeting with anyone. They, they ride around with their windows up air conditioning on, listening to the radio or looking at the computer and waiting for the next call to be assigned. Go go handle that call, do what the citizen wants you to do, turn around and leave. Don't don't try to give them any um thing to help them in the future. Don't try to give them any advice. Don't um don't do anything like that because you might you don't know who you might offend. And that's that's it. We're we don't want to offend anybody. I mean, I'm seeing it now where cases in the role that I'm in now, cases that normally would not be charged or would not be sent for prosecution, you can read between the lines and go, well, this guy's just writing this report so he doesn't get complained on, or he's filing these criminal charges so he doesn't get complained on because somebody's demanding they know the job better than you and you are to do what they say because they are the taxpayer, and you're just the cop. And that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the criminal justice system at all. You know, you, um, what you're articulating, the current situation, I happen to know quite well. I mm -hmm. am, uh, a good portion of my friends are either police officers or children or police officers and uh, or, or retirees from New York City. Right. And one of the things that um, at the height 
of the attacks on small businesses and the closing down of cities in 2020. Um, one uh, Friday, somebody started to put up posters saying, come to a march on behalf of the police. Right. And, um, and so uh, people not even talking to each other showed up at this, uh, at this event and 4,000 people were right. there. And, um, and there were, the word got out and there was less than a dozen protesters. Of course, the news media uh, covered the dozen protesters who were being drowned, who were being drowned out by the fire department. <laughs> Yeah, there you um, go. So you couldn't hear their words. But, right. But this theater of the absurd, um, uh, from our perspective at Secure America Now and as American citizens, um, we're also looking, we, we understand that, and, and I fully appreciate what you're saying, because I think it's important that people understand how difficult or impossible doing the best work that you could do as a police officer is today because of the reasons that you mentioned. Right. Um, at the same time, if you have any ideas on things that either people can do, you know, uh, I've been to several demonstrations on behalf of the police and uh, to me, it looks like that if you simply say thank you or right. you say something, um, a positive thing, write a note to the police captain, whatever, that those things do resonate in a positive way, especially in such a hostile environment. Do you have, do you agree with that? And do you, uh, do you have any other ideas of things that, uh, either elected officials or private people can do to help build morale and build the effectiveness of the policemen? Well, I know of no police officer in the time that I worked that has done any of the stuff that they have been accused of doing. Now, we are there to protect the rights of the law abiding as much as we are in even more so of the criminally accused. Now in the, in the instance say of a, um, a peaceful demonstration, we're there to protect everybody, the, the protesters, everybody. And, and it, and it's, and it's the best way to raw, do things is there's a reason why they want you to go a certain direction. There may be a reason why if there's somebody that's, you know, you're coming out with your demonstration and there may be somebody on the other side that another group has been assigned to monitor because we don't want you two to clash. We want both sides to have their opportunity to speak their minds, to enjoy the Constitution as it has been designed. Nobody, nobody goes to work in law enforcement with, all right, today we're going to go out and we're going to pepperball as many people as we possibly can. Pull out another case of rubber bullets and let's start shooting people for fun. That's not what we do. 
our our thing is it, it, kind of funny, but the old adage for for us was growing up was try to come home with the same amount of holes in your body that you left to go to work with. So we don't want to get hurt as much as nobody as anybody else wants to get hurt. And by God, we don't want to hurt anybody. We want we wanted everybody to be happy. Say, hey, the police did a good job. They made sure that we were safe. We did our we did our thing. We we got to speak our mind and everybody was happy about it. But now it doesn't happen that way because now you have a media, some media that are fueling this mess. And I can't understand why they're fueling it other than to just have. Have, uh, you know make the Nielsen ratings look better for their particular network. Uh, maybe that's it. Or politicians come in and, and they have to have something to argue about. So, and they've got somebody to blame. So, well, let's, let's blame the police. They're the ones that are most visible. They're the most visible sign of the government ever. I mean, I, we had a, we had an adage or, uh, and I know at some point you probably talked to Sheriff Barry, but we had a, uh, saying that was on all of our marked cars, and it was make a difference. Well, we we'd go to work to try to make a difference in somebody's life. Not you know, it's not police work isn't all negative. You want to go out and you want to you want to let the community know that hey, these guys are out here and girls are out here to protect me. These folks took a sworn oath, and and chances are they will put their life down for me. You know, it's not just the Secret Service jumping in front of a bullet for a president or a, a, some other elected official. You know, I, I was sitting here thinking about it today. In, in, my, in my career, just at my agency, I lost 19 deputies that were put their lives down on the line for a citizen. 19 in 30 years. I mean, that, that's crazy. And, and, and we're not, you know, at that time, we weren't really to beat up with the criminal element. But 19 people that I can, I can, I know their names. I mean, every year we have a, 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 re, a reunion of, you know, a law enforcement memorial. And, and we talk about those guys and gals that lost their, their lives with my agency. And it's every day. It's not just, you know, it used to be, you wouldn't hear about them so much. Now we hear about it every day. Every day I get an email or I see a post about an officer that lost their life somewhere in this nation just going to work or just going to a call or pulling somebody over for a traffic light and they got pissed off so they decided to shoot the deputy. I mean, we, we had a trooper here down here a couple of months ago. Stopped for a DAV. Guy shoots and kills the trooper. Because he didn't like how much it was going to cost for the tow truck to come tow him. I mean, how, how do you make this stuff up? And then, and then they want to say, we're the enemy? Really? Well, we don't. And we have done quite a bit of polling on this issue across the country. And even in the most liberal states like New York. Mm-hmm. Support for police officers is 80% and higher. Mm -hmm. And the support for a law-abiding community 
um, a, a place where people and their families can be safe is just, it's, it's universal. And your question is an excellent question. Why do the elected officials, why do the news media um, bend over backwards to, to paint this odious and inaccurate picture of what you folks do? And right. one of the reasons why we're doing these podcasts is exactly the stuff that you're relating now. Right. Uh, and um, what you feel your mission is, why you do your job, and why your fellow police officers do their jobs, we want Americans to hear that. And I will also ask you that when you have your memorial um, that you just mentioned, invite us in. We will okay. film. We will uh -huh. come. You guys can film it, and we'll, and we'll post it. We have both for military veterans as well as police officers, we have an ongoing, and it's one of the most popular things that we do for our community, is highlight individuals mm. who deserve recognition, those who perhaps lost their life, those who got injured, or just those who every day went to work and protected us. So. Um, I want you to put us on your calendar. I will. Um, and um, look, we're in this for the long haul. Just like we couldn't have predicted that this, this antagonism would be expressed towards the police, um, I also think that uh, we can't predict what's going to go on in the future, but I will take a stab at it. As right. sores, let me just tell you, in New York, we have an added insanity, and there are some other cities that have the same thing. Mm -hmm. They are allowing felons who were convicted and serving time out of jail. Mm -hmm. And um, just so, just read you one statistic. In 2020, this is New York, total crime went down, but there was a 75% increase in shootings and an 82% increase in gun homicides. And lo and behold, the recidivists who were let out of jail carried a large part of the load in terms of committing these crimes. Right. And, and, and it is completely rational. It's completely ridiculous. Let me ask you, are you aware of any nationwide, let's say an internet chat room is too small, but an internet connections that police officers have or you think should have so that they can share their experiences, their frustrations, and their ideas? Well, there's several of them. I mean, it, it, there's several police-specific um, social media pages. I mean, I created one that encompasses everybody that's in public service, from the medical folks to the law enforcement folks to the military folks. And mine is called Hope for the Line. And we are slowly gathering members from all over the country to 
to be a voice, to be that voice of reason that says, wait a minute, you know, there's 800,000 law enforcement officers in the nation. And if, if you want to continue to, to be a, a political powerhouse in your community, um, you need to listen to our voice too, because we pay taxes. We have kids in school. Um, we're parts of the community just as much as, as everybody else. And it, and it's something that if we don't get a handle on this, at, at some point we're going to wish we had, and, and it's going to be the old adage, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And well, we, now we need to do, we need to do it. I agree. Uh, we will publicize any group, your group, other groups, that you think deserve recognition. Um, I will tell you right now that our community will spread the word across the country, um, have them sign up. My wife was for 35 years a, um, a registered emergency room nurse in one of the mm-hmm. toughest neighborhoods in New York City. And she saw a lot of things you talk, you mentioned oh, yeah. medical included and um, including uh, one guy with a gun who, uh, who shut down the, um, the emergency room for several hours. And oh yeah. So look, we, just, we I, just had one in Orlando last year, did the same thing. It is something that as a society, I know that you, this, but I'll repeat it. As society, if we don't get a handle on this, we're going to have chaos and um, all sorts of bad things that's going to happen throughout the society. And and we have to get a handle on it. I believe we can because those polling numbers show that there's a tremendous amount of support out there uh, to, to go back to a sane system and well that's the key it's got to be a sane system and and right now we we, we're going over the deep edge for some reason it just doesn't make any sense i mean great there's like you said the recidivism is bad the bond issues are bad because you know bond and stuff like that is is supposed to you know give you the opportunity to go, wait a minute, that's like the domestic violence laws where the cooling off periods where you, you know, you cool off a little bit and, and then you come snap back into reality and go, oh, I shouldn't have probably done that. That's, you know, if we don't have any bonds and you're just making it a revolving door, there's, there's no reason to not keep committing crimes, you know, because they're never going to catch up with you because you're going to keep doing them and keep running in and running out. You know, Rick, um, when we had the first night of rioting in New York City and the police department, of course, came and, as you said, to protect both sides mm-hmm. there as, um, as being antagonistic towards any side. They wanted to bring calm. They wanted to bring order to the situation. There was a situation which was caught on film where a group of uh, lawless radicals were charging at uh, three police officers. Right. And they, um, they 
they broke ranks. I mean, I would have broken ranks too. Oh, yeah. uh, there, there was one guy standing there, and um, and he didn't he didn't shoot a gun. He didn't do anything violent or terribly aggressive. He was so outnumbered that he couldn't have had an impact. Right. Um, the attorney general of the state of New York said that she was going to investigate the three police officers, not the lawless types who, as you said, they had no fear of paying a price for what they were doing. Right. Um, and that is truly unjust and a tragedy for the society and the community. Yeah. Um, look, before we, um, before we end this very interesting conversation, and you have been excellent in, uh, in presenting what it's like to be a police officer and what we need to do. Um, is there anything else that you would like to leave with our audience? It, it takes a special breed of individual to put that uniform on, put on that badge and that gun, kiss their family goodbye, and in the back of their mind, wonder, is today the day I might not come home? And if you think about it, over this last year of 2020, I, I read a thing the other day that in the last year, we haven't lost a single life in Afghanistan. How many cops have we lost this year? Over 300? Yeah. I mean, and, and we're on for, we're, if you look at the numbers now, we are, um, we're, we're following to where we're probably going to go above that last year's numbers in 2021. Now, it's, it's um, everybody, I mean, you can pretty much say everybody, everybody knows a police officer somewhere. They've got a friend that knows one, and we want the same things everybody else wants. And we're not we're not trying to hurt anybody. Nobody goes to, like nobody goes to work with that idea. Idea. Mm-hmm. And it's it's we're going to work to make a difference. I mean that's the way I always looked at it. I always want to make a difference in somebody's life because if you think about it rationally, and like I told you earlier, ninety five percent of the police service involves five percent of the population. Mm-hmm. So. Me on a as a police officer interacting with the general public, and most people you can look at it and they go, "Well, what's the worst thing that usually happens to somebody in their in their life with an interaction with police?" Well, they might get a parking ticket, or they might get pulled over for speeding, and they either going to get they either going to get a ticket or they're going to get a warning. So most police officers. Look at it with the idea, the idea that I don't want my I, the, the way I treat this citizen. I don't want them to look at a negative interaction with me as what all law enforcement's doing. I want them to look at me as being professional and doing the right thing. And and so when they think of law enforcement, they don't think all this negative stuff, they think of the interaction with me, Rick Lalleman, Master Deputy, and how fairly I treated him. So that, in a nutshell, 
and most agencies do that. Most law enforcement, at least most of my friends do that. It's like, you know, look, most of these people are never going to see us again in our lives. And, and the way we interact with them is going to how they're going to look at all of law enforcement. So that's how we tried to operate. And it worked for me. I, I, it just worked for me. Yep. Well, once again, Rick, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the your years of service, your continued um, interest and in dedicating yourself to try to right a very wrong situation that we are currently in. And um, thank you. You're welcome. We're, we're kind of like Marines, you know? It's like once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a cop, always a cop. Yes, like I said, uh, a majority of my friends are ex-cops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're just on a break. We're not really ex. <laughs> anyway... God bless you, and God bless all you guys who are out there in the field. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Anytime. Take care. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.